0: Welcome to another episode of Meter, And my voice is a little bit different today. I have no idea why. Maybe it's because we're so excited to have Mika Shino with this. Uh Mika, how in the heck are you? Great.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to both of you. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Our pleasure. Uh, and I've got to give a background of how Mika and I met. Was at a convention uh, Expo West in in Los Angeles. or actually, it was in Anaheim. And Mika Mika has a new company called Issei. and I, I I went by and I I love. It. So there's this this uh, Japanese confectionery called Mochi, and a lot of you might know what that is through ice cream and some other things. But I was amped about it just because. I grew up with the, this mochi and it's, it's a, it's a guilty pleasure. I'm not going to lie, but Mika put a new twist on it, which was, it's a healthy gummy, (laughs) but, but furthermore, what I really loved is her booth had this whole array of people and it was so awesome to see them come together. And there was one thing in her company that uh, she wants. Well, they want to build bridges across cultures through food. And that that nailed me because it was so. There were so many different people, and everyone was working fluidly together. And we're, we'll go into what that is. I mean, how did you do that, Mika?
1: Oh, thank you so much. I mean, it was great meeting you. I remember you stopping by the booth and you took a bite of it and your shoulder sank and you said, no effing way. (laughs) That was your first reaction. I was like, does that mean you like it? Does it mean it's bad? (laughs) And you just gave us such a positive, you know. More reaction to our, to our
0: yeah emotions. yeah and i did the pg version of, of, of it's yeah. i said freaking <laughs> that's right that's right you right. said no freaking way and
1: uh, it was it was amazing for us and the team i mean for us it was our very first expo it was mm-hmm. our very first booth we had yeah. no idea what we were doing and me and my assistant we were the only ones building this almost homemade booth the day before, you yeah. know, most brands, they can afford to have construction workers and a team to come and build the basically mm. a set, right? Yes. But we had done everything ourselves. We had no idea what to expect. You know, I was like hauling big, huge flooring, vinyl flooring from Home Depot because <laughs> it was $45 at Home Depot. But if you rent it from the convention center, it's like $2,000. Yeah. So we were nuts. really like shows you know, shoestring budget. And we got there and we had, I'm sure you saw, it was the worst booth location. I was the last person to book a booth. It was dark and dingy, was in an entryway. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is not going to go well at all. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all these people came. We ended up giving out, you know, 5,000 samples a day. Holy moly,
0: 5,000? 5, yeah,
1: 5,000. I thought, okay, maybe 500 a day, maybe. That's
0: like wishful yeah.
1: thinking. We had to run around trying to scramble for these cups, you know, the sample cups, yeah, the yeah, paper yeah, cups yeah. that we didn't have enough of. And everybody told us don't expect that much because the expo apparently now is more about sellers coming mm-hmm. to the and trying to sell you ingredients yeah. and packaging and services. So right. I thought, okay, if I get one little retailer, you know, yeah. that would be like mission accomplished.
0: Yes. And it was yes.
1: just amazing. We were we were just so lucky we got seven different teams from albertson's we got onboarded with kaki on the spot um wegman walgreen target uh (laughs) you know walmart it was was like you know this really an american dream moment where everything changes in a day yeah i i had no idea that that was possible so yeah. You know, coming coming there with a completely new concept. We're yeah. the first movers in what you you mentioned. Yep. You know, mochi gummies. Yeah. Mochi um, is an ancient sacred food in Japan. Yeah. We uh, make it for New Year's to bless the gods, and we we you know make uh, offerings to the Shinto shrines. And it's it's something that we grew up with as as Japanese kids. You know, it's yeah. really a very yeah. um, clean. It's just pounded rice. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times it's um, enrobing uh, bean paste or ice cream or whatever, you know. Um, but it's a very perishable snack. It yes. goes moldy after one or two days unless you sell it frozen. And yeah. that's why in America this frozen ice cream came about. And it's very yeah. ubiquitous right now. Yeah. But yeah. I started to have these ideas of <laughs> coming up with a mochi candy because my kids, they love gummy, gummy worms, sour yeah. patch, gummy bears all these junky, you know, gelatin-based foods. And I thought there's got to be a way to take the mochi and make it just as chewy. <laughs> so I yeah. started experimenting in my kitchen, curing it, drying it, doing a hundred, you know, flavors. And my kids love them. Their friends love them and their parents love them. And it just started like that. And one of yeah. the parents works for Unilever.
0: No, no she way. Came
1: over, and she said, stop everything and just do this. And that's how it started. But it was a very long journey it yeah. took almost three years to figure out, you know, how do you make something that's perishable into a shelf stable, yeah. clean, you know, healthy snack without all the junk and emulsifiers and stabilizer and, and, and chemicals. So mm-hmm. that's the that's kind of a, an overview of where I am today and how I met you, Maurice. So yeah. thank you yeah. so much for stopping by. <laughs> well no, well here
0: here's what nailed me, because you said it was in a in a bad location. The way that you made it was just light and bright, but that big sign that said Issei. So for those of you that, that might not know what Issei mean, it means first generation uh, in, uh, from, from, from Japan. And that caught my eye. And then when I looked at what it was, it was mochi. I, I grew up and we, every new year's we pounded it. And then it was, we made it. And matter of fact, my nickname growing up, I ate that stuff until I was bloated. I couldn't even move. And so my, my, my years all the way through elementary, my, my name was much, mochi. Really? <laughs> so every time that's someone funny. calls Mochi, I'm, I'm still looking. So, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And it, it was, it was an amazing thing though, to see all those people come together. And I'm just wondering, how did you do that? Because there were, such, it was such a confluence of people there. How did you bring everyone together like that? They were all so severely different. It wasn't like I went in and hey there's a there's a bunch of uh, people from Japan selling, selling this this was it was so diverse over there. It was really cool to see how how pe- and and they were so motivated that's the, the other thing they were so, their enthusiasm for the product was something that shine incredibly brightly.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, that means so much because, you know, for me, having never done this kind of food booth, uh-huh. I think the most important thing is the energy that you create and the moment that you create. My yeah. background is, you know, I was a music producer, I worked for the UN and I produce events. And yeah. so I saw it really as a moment to connect with people. This yes. is why we just give away bags. I wanted yes. to give away pieces of mochi so that you had that interaction with everybody who tasted it and got the feedback and the the people on my team they were people you know again we just launched six months ago so it's not like I have a huge team I had my yoga instructor my gym (laughs) worker I mean I had people who I knew I flew them out from you know from Bethesda Maryland yeah because I wanted to have people who cared about me and cared about the product and cared about the mission and have diversity. So I didn't just have, you know, Japanese folks. I had people from Korea, African-Americans, you know, I had somebody from um, Monroe, Washington. So it was really about people who love mochis, people who want um, healthier options, especially for their families. Yeah. And so I think a lot of booths, they go and they hire, you know, hostess agencies or people, you yeah. know, just part time, which, which, is, which is great. But I knew that I wanted people with their heart into yeah. it, you know, so that yeah. when they did talk to people, even if they didn't have all the information, it was coming out of out of a place of love.
2: Yeah. So
1: I'm so glad that that transpired.
2: Yeah, when you talk <laughs> about heart, and you obviously have a lot of heart, yeah. <laughs> and you, you just kind of glossed over, you're like, oh, music producer. And yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, Here yeah, by go. the way, I worked at the UN. And uh, I, I was looking at your bio, and <laughs> holy cow, you've got to tell us, more of your story and who you oh. are because any single one thing that you did would be a lifetime for someone else and oh, yet you've done all these different things like just <laughs> tell us about you for a little bit. Oh tell yes us your story. Awesome you. question, Gary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I do I mean you know I do gloss over a lot of stuff because I I think for a lot of people, when you are interested in multiple disciplines, it seems like you're scattered or you're not focused. But I think, you know, as a creative person, you can be interested in so many things in life. And it all, there's a universal thread, I think, to that, that you're interested in creating and producing and 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 uh, and connecting with people. So my background, so I'm, I'm Japanese. I was born in Kyoto and I grew up in the U.S. And um, I started... I started very young. When I was 15, 16, I started um, to dance. I started to do music videos. (laughs) I started to sing. I was on Club MTV. I produced records. And then I was very, you know, it was before the Me Too movement. So I was very dismayed at the way men treated you as a young girl. I was 16. I was a teeny bopper. I was doing music videos and really just... um, you know, off-put by the way you're treated as a girl on set. I did a lot of videos. I did videos with LL Cool J. This is really old school. Um, yeah. <laughs> Heavy D and the Boys. I did, you know, Jody Watley, all these all these people, the Isley brothers. But, you know, you're not really treated as talent. You're really treated as like an object. Mm. And I thought, you know, I want to study. I want to know more. I went to university. I did my undergrad in New York University, and I got really into philosophy. Mm. And... um, I moved to France and I started to work for the UN there. So the United Nations Education, Scientific and Cultural Organization is based in Paris. Yeah. And they have a, a department called philosophy and ethics. And it's all about how do you connect people through critical thinking, analytical thinking, independent thinking, especially in countries where religious dogmatism was mm. really the, the prevailing uh, notion. And so I started working there and just met incredible people all over the world. I was able to work in Africa, the Middle East, um, Latin America. And it just, it really shaped the way I think about people and connecting people, building bridges and that vehicles can be different. It could be different languages, it could be music, it could be art, it could be food. And so every time I traveled and I did missions for work, you know, spending time in Lebanon or Thailand, I would always go and do a little like internship in the kitchens of restaurants Uh and I would just beg local you know little bodegas can I just sit with you and see how you fry this fish or see how you make this curry paste and I was just obsessed with food (laughs) and so at the same time working with um uh with different um policies and activities at the UN I went to the cordon bleu in Paris and I trained as a chef because I have I love cooking but I have this like incredible fear of knives because I cut myself. <laughs> i am terrified of knives. So I thought, Okay. If I strain properly, maybe I won't be scared of, of cutting vegetables and stuff. Cause I was always harming myself. So I went to Cordon Bleu and I wrote a cookbook because I had, I had uh, my son 14 years ago and he was um, diagnosed with a severe liver disease that they thought mm. it was this degenerative liver disease and he was going to need a transplant and all that. And I started to become obsessed with the way we feed kids. So I, mm. I wrote this book. I worked with a pediatrician on different ways to boost um, you know, boost brain growth as well as body growth uh, development of children because there's exponential growth between zero and three. Yeah. So this is a lot of different things, right? Yeah, I like <laughs> a lot it. Of different things. Um, but so I spent 14, 15 years within the UN bureaucracy. Yeah. Which I learned a lot, and I again was able to travel. But you know, having I have I think have a very entrepreneurial spirit. I always want to do new things and create new things. And there's a limit to how much you can do that within a bureaucracy.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah.
1: you hit a ceiling at a certain point. And the last couple of years before really leaving, I thought I can't. You know, I was miserable. I had to always ask permission before I made a statement. I had to seek permission to get a budget to do new things and. And it just became very frustrating. So I resigned. And apparently I was one of the youngest people to resign from a permanent diplomatic position at UNESCO. (laughs) There's this (laughs) checkout procedure where you have to, there's a checklist of like a hundred things. Like you have to return your keys and you have to return your whatever bug for the the garage and library cards. And you have to go through all these, it's like a Kafkaesque labyrinth of these basement offices of admin. You know, you have to get signatures and stamps. Okay, now you're ready to leave. And all the the bureaucrats were like, how could you leave? This is a lifetime position. You don't pay tax and you could be, you know, well off forever. And I thought, I don't want to be 65 and think this is all I did with my life. And I, you know, I cruised and it was great. And I lived in Paris, but I want to make something. I want to accomplish things. I want to create a different, I want to be in a different work culture. You know, I don't, I don't want to be miserable and asking for permission to speak up. And so that's really what pushed me to leave. And after I left, I started to work with Herbie Hancock, because while yes. I was there <laughs> yes. at UNESCO, I created something called International Philosophy Day. Yeah, And my idea was philosophy is boring to everyone, right? Nobody gets excited about philosophy. But if I invited thinkers from different disciplines, so astrophysicists and astronauts and musicians, and they are philosophical. I think anybody who's successful in anything, they have their own philosophy, to what they do. And I knew that Herbie Hancock had this. He's really a thinker. I mean, he's a genius and could have been brilliant at anything that he did. And because of my music background, I connected with him and I invited him. He loved it. We talked about, you know, philosophy of music and harmony and and quantum physics and time travel. (laughs) And, And we had this, you know, big concert. And my my idea was okay if you come to one of the boring philosophy seminars you'll get a free ticket to this concert and so (laughs) it worked and it was like a lot you know three thousand people showed up and there were fire you know uh police officers and firemen who came because it wasn't it was like it was so packed and so we did it every year and every year he came back with incredible musicians wayne shorter beady bridgewater diane reeves and we had this phenomenal conversation all the time pre-show about yeah. what it means to be a creative um yeah. force right and how it impacts humanity and yeah. how that can bridge cultures yeah. so i think for me you know whether it's music or food or you know painting it really is an opportunity to create those conversations where yeah. people can yeah. let their guard down whether it's politics or language or territory and really connect on a human level. So I think yeah. for me, Gary, I'm sorry, that's such a long answer, but no, that's I been thread. <laughs> and I've been lucky <laughs> enough to work with, you know, Herbie for 25 years now. He's godfather to my kids and, you know, people like Esperanza Spalding. And yeah. Wayne Shorter, who just passed away, was a godfather to my son as well. I mean, so wow. just learning for them. I mean, from them, they're like Jedi Masters. They're like Yodas, you know, about anything. <laughs> when you listen to somebody like Wayne Shorter, he does, he's not talking about music. He's talking about life yeah. and talking about you've got to take chances and you have to create your own, you know, define your own future and not, not live by other people's scripts. I mean, yes, I learned right. so much from them, and yes. I'm still learning from them. So it's just been an incredible journey.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah. sure,
1: Gary, you're like, why did I ask this question? No, but no. no. <laughs> I, I,
0: you know what? It's so cool because I have all these lists of questions, and you answered every one of them because of Gary's simple question. <laughs> I love it.
2: <laughs> well, I just think it's so awesome that y- you just you seem like a person there's just there's not enough room in the un to contain you there's not enough room in yourself to contain you 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 know one of the things i appreciate is you 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 say that you know oftentimes people look at people that that try different things as being scattered and and that's kind of looked down upon and for some people but yet in on that same on the on the opposite side of that equation you have this, there, there's a common theme in what you do. Like you said, yeah. it's like, expand the mind, expand what we're doing, yep. connect people, bring people together, whether you like you said, whether it's philosophy, music, food. I mean, yeah, I like to eat. I'm a, I love food. Maurice knows that I, I am a foodie. You, you wouldn't believe way. the amount of food that Gary could put away. <laughs> <laughs> Quality or quantity. I don't care. I love food, but. If there's one thing I've seen is it's, you know, it's stuff like that, that truly brings people together and starts the conversations and gets people talking on a common thread. And one of the, one of the things that you said is, is meeting people kind of where they're at, meeting them where they are. If you can't do that, there's no, there's no conversation. So no, I appreciate your, your, uh, your answer because I think it really enlightened all of us as to who you are and why you do what you do. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't
2: agree
0: more. I couldn't agree more. As I was listening to your story, there's that inherent connection that you automatically feel to you. And when I, when I was first asking you how, how you brought the people together, it's obvious how you brought the people together because they feel that enthusiasm and that zest from you. You can't be contained. And in essence, you're a Renaissance woman. There's, there's no doubt in my mind that those are the things that connect. I mean, you could have started out. I worked with Herbie Hancock. No, no, no. Gary had to dig on that one, and <laughs> just to see that deep connection uh, that you have with these people that have influenced millions, and that continue to be your mentors. Uh, who could boast that? And the thing is that the, the thing that's lovely about this whole situation is you don't boast about it. You, you, it's, it's obvious that you're a share of, of the things that you learn, which only makes not only you better, but everyone around you better. I think that's why I go, I've got to go to that booth, right? It's, it's amazing, Mika. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah. Thank you. So much. It's
1: <laughs> Thank you. I mean it's it's been such a long journey to try to find my own sort of room or space or whatever you call it. I've really spent my whole career mm-hmm. with a lot of, you know, with honor, you know, building other people's vision, you know. Yeah. Um Herbie would say to me, "You know, I've got this idea. Can you figure it out?" I'm like, "Yes," <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it out. What's the budget? Zero budget. Okay. We'll figure that out too. And I've I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. But then I thought, okay, I mean, I've gotta I've gotta try to build something for myself. Yeah. And create a culture that I can be proud of and raise other folks up. Yep. And um give other people, you know, a seat at the table. Yeah. And so that's really what, you know, in addition to creating something that's delicious and and brings happiness to to kids and families, I thought the whole philosophy behind it, there's got to be a purpose. And the, the name Issei came because Issei, like you said, Maurice, is, is, it, it means first-generation Japanese immigrants specifically. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's about celebrating the heritage and the culture that all immigrants bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, growing up as a minority, I didn't have access to you know, Asian snacks or Asian flavors. I'm old, so it was a long time ago. Maybe today it's different, but, you know, me growing up in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. you had to go to the ethnic aisle if there was one or go, you know, drive 30 minutes to go find the Asian supermarket. And Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, the fact that we, um, as this company that represents heritage and and diverse culture, the fact that we're sitting next to Smart Sweets, which is the biggest candy on the shelf, Yeah. As an Asian-inspired snack with Asian flavor profiles and Asian textures that's not dependent on gelatin, it's huge. Just that. You know, just for my kids to see that, like, oh, this is a Japanese snack and it's right next to the main normal snacks, right? It's a huge deal for for us, I think, minorities and as immigrants. Yeah. And I think all immigrant traditions are valid. We just haven't had the opportunity to voice it out. So I think if we could be part of that movement. That's really what I wanted to create. I mean, the mochi gummies, I'm you know, we spend a lot of energy on it, but it's it's a vehicle for that bigger, yeah. broader message, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, oh it, totally. It makes a ton of sense because as you're talking about the Japanese Isle or the Asian Isle or whatever, my mom is – my mom's from Japan. I grew up in the 70s, and I remember she would make us sushi. She would make us curry rice. She'd make us all these different things, and i I'd tell my friends at school, i go, What? are you thinking, man, what is this stuff? And so I was, I I thought, okay, I'm not going to tell anyone what I ate, man. (laughs) And then, then you come back a couple decades later, I left my hometown and came back. Hey, where is, you want to go to sushi? (laughs) (laughs) And so it's, it's interesting to see how these, these things start to percolate and trend. And it wasn't a forced or contrived thing. It's just all of a sudden, chef started putting in the fusion and everything like that. And it just goes on to show, to your point, that there are so many things that we can learn from all of the different cultures and such. And this wasn't the intent of how the, the this this interview was going to go. But if you really think about it, that it's a combination of Issei, of where you started from. I think it's very interesting how you had all these things in Paris and the United Nations or Herbie Hancock and everything else. But you return back to your roots. Isn't that cool? <laughs>
1: it's so true. It's pretty amazing. I never expected it myself. But I, when I was really thinking about what do I really want to do, how can I contribute? Yeah, It was just really being yourself. Yep. You know, nice. and looking into where am I from? What do yep. I love? What do I, what do I want my kids to know about themselves, right? Yeah. It really came down to that. And I think, but I was able to do it because of all the experiences that I went through <laughs> and everything I learned from all these amazing, you know, opportunities of working with people and institutions. And it's, um, it it is a, it's a weird thing, Maurice. It's true, just to go through all that and come back to where you started.
2: So yeah. I'm going to ask you both a question. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened? I mean, how do we go from, you know, when your children... I mean, Maurice was in Utah, so there really probably <laughs> was an ethnic aisle in the supermarket. Uh, how do you go from being—I'm not saying ashamed, but not really—you know—vocalizing or like, "Hey, I've got this great food. I've got this great, you know, what whatever it is—to where we are now, where food is seen so much more as a uni- as a unifier, and people of different cultures are more excited to bring bring stuff to the table. No pun intended. Mm-hmm yeah what happened? <laughs> Do you want to go
0: first week? I, I have some ideas. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I think there's a general opening uh, of minds. And I think the more people hear, like Maurice said, more chefs talk about different ingredients. I think there's just much more diversity in the restaurant and the foodie world. Yes. and that has trickrelated, you know, down to, normal average people being like, okay, well, I'll try that ramen yeah. or I'll try yeah. that, you know, weird sushi, right? The dragon roll or whatever. And I think that that really didn't exist. As Maurice said, it, it really didn't exist. And I think just the general appreciation of food didn't exist when I grew up. Mm-hmm. I think Whole Foods changed a lot for the U.S., yeah. and the way we see ingredients and our organic and where food comes from yeah. that awareness wasn't wasn't there either so yeah. I think it's a general awareness that's that's been cultivating and percolating but yeah. it really hasn't I think today we, we're really seeing an explosion of entrepreneurs and Cpg yeah. founders being very proud and loud about their their heritage right yeah. Maurice so I think it's really been a gradual movement
0: yeah, it really has matter of fact I was in 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 when I was growing up in Utah, I never I never really thought of it anything. And then, then I did a a church service mission in Hawaii, and they, they I would always say my my name is Matsumori, right? Japanese pronunciation. Well, first eighteen years of my 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 life, I was saying my name was Matsumori. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I got to Hawaii, and they said. No, it's Matsumori. and uh, it was so funny because then I was introduced to all kinds of cultures and food and people who were completely comfortable with who they were, and it it, it was a it was an igniter of man. There's a lot of things that I didn't realize that I was kind of fitting into. And it wasn't a rebellion or anything. And I, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm very happy the way the, that that worked out because it was a process of self discovery. It wasn't a rebellion or shoving it down anyone's throat, but it was it, that that process of self discovery made me appreciate so much more about my culture, about food, about everything that involved. And then it came back to open discussion of when I got back to the mainland, it was. Man, have you tried this stuff called Loco Moco? And then you explain what it is—a Hawaiian thing where you have rice and an egg and gravy and a hamburger patty. Sounds gross, but it's delicious. And, and then you, <laughs> you, you get to you get to share that with other people. And I think the magic word, um, and, and and Mika, you even use that is to share. It's not a force and contrived thing. Uh, once once you start to force, that's when people rebel against it. But if it comes from an attitude of sharing. My goodness, there's so many good things and uh, that that can come about of it. I mean, I, looking at your booth, Mika, again, it was about sharing. It was like, here you go. No, it was like, hey man, it's good stuff. Find for yourself. It was nothing that, that was forced or contrived. And anyway, that's hmm. yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean to get in any philosophical discussion. But that's, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> no,
1: it's beautiful, it's beautiful. and I, I have to add to that, Maurice. For me, also, like. Moving out of the U.S. and spending 14 years in France,
0: yeah, the,
1: the level of appreciation that the French and the Europeans have for Asian yeah. cultures and tradition, not just the food, but the history and the art yep. and the literature... That really made me feel like, wow,
0: you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I should be
1: super proud, and you know, this is something amazing. And you, you know, you don't have that level of of awareness here. No. So that that was an awakening for me as well.
2: No. Well, and I think that's what that's what food can do is it can open doors between people. I had a I have to share a quick experience. I (laughs) was in L. A. Oh, probably about eight months ago. And a buddy of mine, he works in a in a an industrial center where people kind of do their own, they have their different businesses. And at the very end, there was this Armenian gentleman that's a fabricator, and he makes amazing, beautiful art and entryways and that type of stuff. And anyway, he got I don't know why, but he got wind that I was coming, and he's like, "I want to I want to cook for you guys, yeah, make something for you guys." Yeah. And we're like, "Okay, we're in." And so it was cool. I had my sons with me and this gentleman he he goes by sean um invites us over and he and he they set up their little traditional barbecue and he we have probably a five star meal in this oh, little man. industrial complex yep up the back side yep. and but the cool thing was and i was talking to my sons about it is it opened the door between two cultures yes. and it started the discussion and First of all, I was like, "What's your real name?" <laughs> <laughs> I was, let's start there. <laughs> yeah, let's start there. And uh, you could just see walls falling and falling and yep. falling. And you know, it was it was almost well, I'm not gonna say almost. It was a religious experience for all of us. Yeah. And that gentleman has since moved back to Armenia. You know, and I'm just grateful for that experience. So, I mean, when you talk about the power of what you're what you're doing with your company, not yep. just the name, you know, with the name, the product, the intent, yep. Yep. it's so exciting. It's so yep. exciting to me, and because you're doing what was happening in that that little industrial complex on a grand scale. Yeah, you know, and so I I, I can't wait to see the trajectory of your company and what you guys are. Able I'm to pumped. Do. I am so pumped Thank to see so it. So much.
1: It's just <laughs> yeah. I'm so grateful to talk to both of you because you know, starting a business and quitting all of your positions and jobs. <laughs> it's really scary, right? Especially yeah, at my is. age, about 20, right? Yeah. And I have a family and so it's it's been such a rickety challenging journey and every night you know I was like okay there's another 10 gray hairs I have because (laughs) I'm worried about this and that and production and manufacturing and you know shipping and all these things but I really I'm so grateful for your for your belief and for your just for you seeing what we're trying to do because it's it's been, it's been tough. You know, I haven't, I didn't even know what a barcode was. I didn't even know <laughs> what SKU meant. I'm like, what's skew? I mean, literally this, and we launched six months ago. Talk yep. about not knowing anything. Yeah. And even through the research phase, but I do think, and I, I say it to my kids all the time, like if you manage to achieve a certain level of accomplishment or success in one field, mm-hmm. knowledge is transferable, right? Yes. So it'll you some time to get there's a learning curve of learning words like skew and barcodes Mm -hmm. but once you get there you can figure it out because you figured it out in one field yeah right Yeah. and i feel like it's it kind of it kind of emboldens you to be like okay now i know this i I know how to deal with people i know what you know Sort of uh hangers on or like, right? I've seen that in the entertainment business. I can sniff <laughs> that out. Right. So you you get you get wiser with everything that you try. I think it just it makes you stronger, even though you don't you might not know what you're doing right now.
2: <laughs> Eventually
1: you'll yeah, figure well, it out.
2: I, I think the reason you're gonna be successful is I, I've seen so many different people that have gone into the entrepreneurial world mm-hmm. and some of them don't have that deep underlying reason for what they do. And if you don't have that, like you have in spades, (laughs) (laughs) it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia that just wears you down by a thousand little cuts, you know, the shipping, the, you know, all the little different things. Yeah. So I think because you do have that deep underlying reason for what you're doing, yeah, that's going to be your anchor. That's going to be what keeps you going. And and that's what's going to make you guys successful, in my opinion
0: yep Thank oh, so and th- that and your resilience I look at everything you've done in the past you as st- you started a sound company for heck's sake and then you did <laughs> you did another uh, the baby food thing And now it doesn't matter if you get knocked down or not you're going to get back up and that's what I'm I, I love is that grit uh, absolute pure
2: grit and uh, well and, and one yeah. thing we we see so much on um, as we interviewed wonderful successful people is, this, I, I don't know. I guess I could coin the term. Excuse me. Bilateral mentorship, where <laughs> you have people that <laughs> that mentor you, but you're yeah. also passing that forward. I yeah. mean, you're looking like you were just saying, like I, I can I can transfer this knowledge to to yeah. other people. I can get them where they want to go as well. So I don't know why well, we're just. I don't know. I'm just so excited you. Well, I got
0: I gotta have a, another another question. This is very self-serving, but. My daughter, as a dancer, and she's in, in dance education in college right now, what would you tell someone just starting out? If this was looking back at you, again, it, when you started your dance career and then moved into all types of other things, looking back, what would you tell yourself?
1: Wow. So, yes, I did start out as a dancer. That was my first... I guess my first trade, I don't know what to call it, but I was 16 and I was going to auditions in New York. I was taking the bus from New Jersey by Mm. myself, auditioning and I mean, I would tell your daughter, just go for it, don't be scared and don't, you know. I think there's so many different voices, especially as a young woman. You hear like, oh, you shouldn't be doing this, or you should go get a normal job, or you should have stability, just go for it because whatever Mm. you do in dance, like I said before, that is going to make you stronger and whatever knowledge you build you can yeah. build that you can transfer that to anything else that you do yeah. and i you know i see amazing dancers who are now surgeons you know yes. or tennis players who are doctors or you know i mean it's just amazing people and i think i think starting with art is probably the most you know it's a blessing it's the most blessed life to be able to be a dancer and to create and to hone in on your on your skills I would tell her just go for it you know and then just go until you feel like okay i'm ready to do something else or not you know there's yeah. there's amazing career paths in dance so i would just tell your daughter just just go for it 100 you, you know what that
2: reminds me of is you're talking about those transferable skills that yeah. you know <laughs> so i'm in i'm in healthcare, and some of the best nurses make the best doctors and it's not because <laughs> the nurses have some clinical knowledge it's because they have people knowledge yes. that they That's can right. then transfer, you know, and That's so right. I can see like in the, in the dance realm, you know, the discipline, the, you know what I mean? The repetition, yeah. I, the yeah. that is such a highly transferable skill. That so makes so nice. much sense to me.
1: The determination and, you know, you don't yeah. want to rehearse. You don't want to practice every day. You don't want to go to dance class every day, but you, the fact that you force yourself to do it and yeah. you get better and better and better, but dancing is also, you got to hustle, you yes. got to go to audition, <laughs> right? You get beat down. Your your teacher criticizes you in front of the whole class. It's about being able to take it and endure it. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's very hardcore to be a dancer. Yeah, and you you're not going to be able to be to get jobs to get gigs as a dancer if you don't hustle. If you don't yes. go to auditions and figure it out and and you know learn how to talk to people and learn how to talk to your employees. I mean, it's a whole universe of skills involved yeah so if you can figure that out as a young person you can do anything
2: so so i'm going to take that a little bit further how did you filter out the noise how did you filter out the people that say you can't you shouldn't be going into dance you should be doing something else that's more stable what at at a young age you were obviously able to do that to some degree how did you do that
1: that's Such a good question. Has nobody ever asked me that. <laughs> it's, 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 I wonder how. I think. I think I was. I was lucky because both my parents are artists. Mm. So for them, and that's the reason why we moved to the U.S. I, you know, my father was not a businessman. We didn't come here with a company. You know, um, my father was a painter who was banned from the Japanese Artists Association oh because he did God. politically charged. Exhibitions in the '70s, criticizing the government for wow. censorship, and he was banned from the. the there, there used to be a lot of, you know, very um, sort of solid uh, associations guarding who yeah. gets to exhibit or not, and he was banned as well as a lot of his friends, a lot of other artists, and there was an exodus of artists to New York. So my father was part of that with a big afro and huge glasses and his bell <laughs> bottoms. He was a total rebel. So for him, you know, his daughter starting to go to auditions and leaving school at 2 p.m. to go into Manhattan. is like, all right, cool. You should do that. <laughs> and my mom, too. So they they never judged me. Yeah. I think at a certain point, they were like, OK, really, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to school? But they, they didn't put that pressure on me as a lot of, I think, a lot of especially Asian families do. Like, you have yeah. to be a doctor. You have to be a lawyer. Yeah. You have to go into business I didn't have any of that and so I wasn't afraid and yeah. even when I when I applied for a job at the UN they basically laughed at me because getting a job as a Japanese citizen in yeah. the UN you have yeah. to come from a family of people working for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs you have to go yeah. through there's a very strict path to right. get into that right. and I was this like you no know, philosopher artist looking for an intern, and I was hired by a a Korean philosopher, an American (laughs) who spoke no French, and so he was really fighting for me to get a a permanent position because I worked so hard for him, Yes. and at one point, the Japanese ambassador called me into his office for the first time, acknowledging that I existed, and he said, (laughs) so what did he ask you to do? Like, asking me, am I a spy? And I said, no, I worked really hard for him, and I you know, I didn't take vacation. I really worked my butt off. And he thinks that I I would be a good U.N. worker. And they're like, really? <laughs> and so it was a total shock to everybody. Like, how did I get a position at the U.N. without coming through the normal route? Because I wasn't scared. I, yeah. I just called. And my whole journey through the U.N. is also kind of ridiculous because... I visited UNESCO and, you know, in Japan, UNESCO is big because there's a lot of UNESCO World Heritage Sites and it's a very big organization, whereas in the U.S. it hasn't been very well known for a long time because the U.S. pulled out in the 80s. But I visited the building and I saw that there was this department of of philosophy and ethics and I was dreaming about, you know, philosophy and studying in Paris at that point now. And um, the division, the department was founded by Jean-Paul Sartre who was this existential philosopher. I mm-hmm. thought, oh my God, that's a dream. You know, why is there a philosophy department in the UN? I want to work there. So I called the internship. There's an internship department. And I said, can I get an internship? But they said, well, do you have a master's program? And I said, no, I just started mine. They're like, well, no, you can't do it. You got to wait two years. And I thought, why do I have to wait two years? It's free labor. I'm saying I'm going to work for free. <laughs> so I started calling. There was this organic I started calling everybody in the organogram, the Tolerance Division, Human Rights Unit, um, Women's Rights. And I happened to uh, <laughs> stumble upon the the new head of the, the Department of Philosophy and Ethics. Mm-hmm. And he was this Korean man who just graduated from Harvard or stopped you know, teaching at Harvard and he didn't have anybody to help him. He didn't speak any French. And he said, well, so you want to do an internship, huh? And I said, yeah, you know, I'll work for free. I just want to learn. I didn't even know how to use a, a, a computer properly. And he said, and they're telling you no? And I said, they're telling me no? He's like, come in on Monday, and you're going to do an internship with me. And so he all the departments, got me an insurance, got me a U.M. pass, did everything for me. And I worked so hard for him for two and a half years. That's how he fought for me to get a position. So talk about just <laughs> This is what goes back to being a hustling dancer. Yeah, yeah. You yes. got to find a way. You got to get in the audition, even if they close the you know the books on you. You got to get in. Yeah, and that that's sort of this you know hustler mentality that I got from being a dancer. So I'm sorry to be long.
0: Again. No, this, <laughs> no, well, this is the beauty. The beauty about all this uh, this this entire interview is that we started out with with the initial company, right? But looking at who you are and going back to what gary says you're going to succeed regardless of 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 what what goes on with with the mochi gummies and such because the character that you bring to the table and also that willingness to pass this forward is it, it's, it's going to continue to perpetuate in in into success that's that's the way i'm going to be looking at it and you won't convince me otherwise <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So but, but no, I, I just wanted to thank you because I know you've given us a ton of time. Uh but I I didn't want to thank you for making that time, especially for a person you only met once.
1: <laughs> You're unforgettable, Maurice. Like I, said, I remember exactly the moment where, you know, I met you and you had that reaction. I thought, wow, he's amazing. Like you we're so <laughs> you were so expressive you know and you had so many things to share with us so thank you thank you for you know taking the time to even want to listen to my story and to my company and and giving giving me the opportunity thank you so much
0: it's our pleasure and do me a favor stay on the line for a second and then uh, we'll go from there okay
1: wonderful (laughs) thank you thank you Oh